What's up and welcome to another episode of Black and the Maritimes. I'm Fidel and I have a special guest with us. He's an entrepreneur, activist, a great, great person to talk to. I, uh, we've been collaborating a couple of panels and I think he's a very interesting person to talk to. Uh, Yusuf Mohammed Shaya, how you doing? Good, good, Fidel. How are you? I'm good. It's a pleasure to have you. I mean, we, we shared some panels together, uh, Dialogue NB, the NB African Association, Battle of the Arts. Uh, I think uh, I think you've done a great representation of what you do, and I'm, I'm very happy to talk to you. So, Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to be working with you. Uh, I remember we've been working, I think, since uh, 2020. I think uh, Pandem pandemic, yeah, pandemic, yeah, the beginning of the pandemic. So we've been collaborating and uh, just virtually. I hope one day we can be able to meet. So and um, happy Easter to you and your family. And uh, I hope we can be able to have a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. Happy Easter to you, too. So uh, you let's start in the beginning. Uh, where did you grow up and how, uh, where, where, where were you raised? Uh, originally, I'm from Somalia. Uh, my parents are from uh, are Somalians, but uh, after the civil war in Somalia, uh, they moved to Kenya. So I grew up uh, in Kenya. Well, so for those people that do not know Somalia, I mean, Somalia is it's been in a civil war for decades, but it's not the whole country. There's there's another part of Somalia that is not at war. Uh, yeah. So do you know exactly what the war is about to so people that don't know? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think the war is pretty much um, <clears throat> external and mostly internal. It's about uh, tribalism. It's about, you know, there is uh, some tribes they want to be in power. Um, but usually there is an out outside influence that's influencing those people. Um, they have, uh, they're getting money or the support or aid from outside just to, you know, to destabilize the government that's there. So Somalia has been in peace, you know, uh, and things have really been going well since 2009. Uh, they've been in rebuild, really. Um, <clears throat> it's just that we don't see that part a lot on the news or the Western news doesn't really like to show the, that part. Um, but as you said, the other side of Somalia that's really, you know, they don't have a war or things like that is uh, Somaliland, right? So that's the part of uh, Hargeisa. And um, they break up from um, Somalia after the war, after the colonialization. So they got the independence first before uh, Somalia, you know, the Federation of Somalia. So they decided to break out and they've been you know, independent and uh, as a sovereignty by themselves. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely, I agree with you in the part that you said that the Western media has, hasn't shown anything. Because if you look at Somalia, uh, and you know, I have a funny story. I saw somebody that was Asian. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking these people are from Korea or someplace or, or like Indonesia. And it's like, no, no, I'm from Somalia. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's Asians? It's like, yeah, yeah. My, my family, they came there and that was like, wow. Like, you, but you never hear what's going on there other than poverty and war. So 
that it's not an interesting topic to know about. So uh, you, your family fled from Somalia to Kenya. And how old were you when that happened? I was about, uh, I would say three years old. Okay, so you were really young. So yeah, your, your, your yeah, childhood is... when I left. So yeah, I have not really a lot of recollection beside the stories and, um, you know, studying and reading about Somalia uh, and what my parents and my grandparents uh, shared with me. Uh, so we left there when I was younger and we never, uh, I never went back. Okay, so where, where did you grow up in Kenya? Uh, so in Kenya, when my family went there, as <laughs> Somalians, they were... They got the asylum or the refugee status of Kenya. So they were in a refugee camp in Kenya. Uh, so I grew up as a refugee, uh, grew up uh, in a refugee camp. But uh, in Kenya, there's an opportunity to be able to go out outside the camp and uh, to be able to study in Kenyan public schools. So I had that opportunity to be able to go back and forth in a refugee camp and Kenyan public school. Oh, wow. That, that's amazing that they were able to facilitate that. Now, uh, I know about refugee status uh, and depending on the country that you're in, it is a totally different ballgame. Like it's not the same yeah. refugee status in a place like Canada or it's not the refugee status in a place like Jordan or a place. How how is the refugee life in in Kenya? Uh, it's not easy, tell you the truth, Fidel. Uh, refugee status anywhere in the world really is not easy. Even here in Canada, when we came as refugees, wasn't it as easy to transition and, um, in, you know, to adapt the society. So, but in Kenya, really, because we're, we're brothers, we're brothers and we're sisters and we're neighbors. So they open their borders to their neighborhood countries when these type of things happen. Uh, in Ethiopia, there is a lot of Ethiopians. There is about, there is 3 million Somalians in Kenya that they live oh, in. Oh, wow. Kenya. Yeah. So, and there is about 5 million in Ethiopia. So, where we share the borders, where, you know, it's the Horn of Africa. Somalia is in the Horn of Africa. And um, so we go both in those two countries between Kenya and Ethiopia. So they usually um, welcome the, uh, the Somalians there as their brothers and sisters. But the situation, you know, uh, to live there <clears throat> sometimes is a little bit challenging living in a refugee camp because, you know, you're dependent with what the UNHCR is going to provide because the Kenyan government is not going to support you, you know. So you're dependent on aid from outside. Oh, wow. So, and, and, Thank God you clarified that, that you said that, you know, it's it's not living as a refugee is not easy anywhere you go. Because, I mean, from people that have never lived it, they probably would never imagine. But right now, as you see what's happening in Ukraine, uh, you know, it's hard for um, people to leave their home. Right. Like, you know, your life at the home and all of a sudden you got to go to another place. And what you said, you, you got to live with what they give you, not necessarily what you get is what they will give you. And whatever, and it is what it is at that point. And then you have to go to, to that sense. So you go to school in Kenya uh, for how long? Like, how long did you stay in Kenya? Um, <clears throat> my family, even as, until now, some of my family members are still in Kenya. Some went back to Somalia. Uh, but I li- I've been in Kenya for 20, 20 years. Uh, so I went to school. I finished my high school in Kenya. And uh, before I got an opportunity to come to Canada. Okay, so you live in 
in in that part, do you ever get out of the refugee camp while you're going to transition for school, or 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 that your your life is in the refugee camp those 20 years? Um, we had opportunity to be able to move around in Kenya. Some of my family members, just because of the situation in a refugee camp, it's not easy. So, and they became entrepreneurs. They wanted to try life in Kenya. So they get out of the refugee status. Uh, they married Kenyan um, women, my uncle, uh, my aunt was married to a Kenyan. So the family just transitioned and we just started, some of my family members begin their life in Kenya. So they get out of the refugee camp. So in March break or when the school was closed, I'll go and visit my aunt or I'll go and visit my uncle where they lived in, in the capital city, which is Nairobi or I'll go to Kenya, uh, Kitale, which is like, you know, the second capital city. So we, we I had an opportunity to move around. <clears throat> and uh, my father as well, working in a refugee camp, he was, uh, was a driver for the UN convoys when they come to the refugee and they will have to go to some areas. So they have to go to the zone because we had zoning in the refugee camp. So you have a zone where there's Somalis, there's a zone where there is Ethiopians, there's a zone where there's Sudanese. So it had to be, you need to have a local to be able to navigate around. So my dad used to do that. And uh, and sometimes they have to go to Sudan. Sometimes they have to go to borders in Ethiopia. So I had an opportunity to travel sometimes to those borders or Ethiopia and, uh, and the capital city of Kenya. Oh wow! So you're giving me, you're giving us a a good story here because I mean, you said a word opportunity, and the you had the opportunity to do that, and you said less than 20 years. So there's people that last decades in a refugee status in in those places, like 20, oh, yeah. 30 years. Oh yeah, wow. more than that. There is people that I know they're still in refugee camp that I grew up with till today. They're still getting a chance to get out of the refugee camp. Some family members. Or, you know, some of your family members will get an opportunity to come and some will be left behind. So you come here to be able to advocate for them or to try to, you know, <clears throat> uh, to speak about on their behalf, on their case with the UN, with IRCC here. But sometimes it's really difficult. That's why you see um, a lot of work that we do with the New Brunswick African Association is to try to advocate for family reunification because there is a lot of families here that they have their family members they left behind, especially African single, African mothers. Uh, they're here, they're single, they have four children, but their husbands are back home. So their challenge here, they cannot go to work. Uh, they cannot really raise a family or raise those kids. And as you know, Fidel, you need both parents to really uh, raise strong children. And uh, that's the challenge we're facing. And you see a lot of newcomer children, especially from Africa, uh, they're falling into these um, crimes or things like that because they don't have both parents at home. It's not because of the system here. We know we're dealing with, there is, you know, if we look at the African-Americans, the challenge is like, you know, parents are in prison or uh, they're being put in prison because of some minor, uh, minor <clears throat> cases, but, with the newcomers, it's like they were left behind. So their husbands, they're still in those predicaments. Uh, they cannot be able to come here or it's gonna take a little while. It takes a little, about three to five years to six years to actually come. Uh, and, and one of the things that people don't understand about refugees is that pretty much you're stateless. 
you don't have documents. It's not like you can go to a government office and, and get records or anything. And, and one of the parts that I've seen is, is that uh, in order for you to either get out of the refugee or or go to some other place, you need documentation. There, there's a process to this. And oh, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine somebody 30 years, uh, and, and again, you 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 given some lightning into this, 30, 25 years in a stateless situation. Like really they have no government papers. Even as I remember one time I was here in New Brunswick and I forgot my wallet. Mm -hmm. I had no ID. I had nothing. And I couldn't do anything. I couldn't take a bus because I had no money. I couldn't go to a place because I didn't have ID. Like, and imagine you in that situation for years. <laughs> yeah. So just to to add on that too, because I don't want people to be mistaken. Yes, it's the same situation even in Kenya when we were there. Um, we we had identification, or they, we had a curfew. There is a curfew where you know a certain time you have to be in the refugee land uh, compound. You know, so. If you are outside at a certain time, you need to be able to have a piece of paper that you know gives you permission to be out at that time. So exactly. So you're living in a state where you have a curfew. You know, you have to be in at a certain time, the lights are shut off, the certain time, you know, theaters, movies, um, you know, I would say probably sport theaters, uh, they shut down at a certain time. So you you have to be at home at a certain time or there is a patrol, there's, you know, Kenyan police at the refugee camp at the gates uh, patrolling. So if you're being caught, you, you're spending the night in jail and you have to pay the fine the next morning or your family have to, you know, pay for you to get out. So it wasn't really, wow. you know, it's all uh, speechy, but, you know, as I said, you know, everything was not, uh, you know, it, it's like that everywhere, really. Oh, wow. That That is that is crazy to, to, to the fact that, and I mean, so... You last that you go you get your education there. Uh, you do go to school. Do you go to university there or college or or you the twenty years you finish school and you start working? Yeah, no, I just um, my graduation after my graduation at uh, my high school, um, <clears throat> my the opportunity to come um, for us, you know, the Canadian embassy came to the refugee camp and our name we were one of the luckiest ones to be selected to come to Canada. So this was just after I just finished my high school, like one week after that, I was already, uh, my name was called and I had to, you know, a couple of weeks later, we had to be able to go to do interviews. Oh, wow. So you get, you finish high school, one week later, you're selected to come to Canada. And what what was the transition from that? Like how, how long it took to, from, that part to come to Canada? I took a while, uh, really, because as I said, you know, 20 years, 20 years of going back and forth, you know, um, we applied for so many countries. Uh, you know, if you're in a refugee camp anywhere, like, you know, situation in Ukraine, you have to choose, you know, where they are selling you, where you're going to be accepted. So you try to go to Canada, you apply to go to United States, and whatever your lack falls, uh, it's where you're gonna go. So we've, we've, in our 20 years that we've been in a refugee camp, we applied for so many countries in the Western and the Western world, and um, always something comes up. You know, in the UK there was that Heathrow bombing, uh, so the status they were not taking anybody from 
Africa somehow the whole they just closed all cases so we had to reapply for Australia United States and always there always something happened in these countries and you know whatever happens here affects the status of people back there you know so people don't understand that politics or whatever happens here it has a lot of ramification for people that in the refugee camps or in those uh, third world countries they say uh, so for me, really, the transition was, you know, we are kind of, um, <clears throat> most of my family gave up uh, in the situation of refugee status. As I said, they started their life in Kenya and they continued. They started businesses. My uncle, my sisters, they started businesses. They got married. They started family. Uh, so but my grandmother, you know, kept pushing myself and my brothers to continue to keep going. You know, we've been in this uh, situation already so it was like we're not gonna lose anything so we got lucky to come <clears throat> after so many trials so many um, interviews with so many countries uh, Canada came through so when we we met with the Canadian embassy uh, and we spoken with them we really felt or I felt really confident that we're gonna be out of there and in less than a week uh, or say probably two weeks um, we were we were called and we were, we were told we we're going to be going to Canada. Oh wow! Oh, and, wow. and you know, it's it's funny that you said that. Uh, it's, it's very very, you know, it keeps in my mind that you're saying like lucky and opportunities because it's it's these are human people that are in this situation, just like yeah. everybody and. Like you said, everything that happens in the politics, which has nothing to do with with regular people living their lives, it affects hundreds of thousands of people uh, for just something that they have nothing to do with. Uh, and, you know, it, make, it makes me think that, you know, like you said, you have to wait to somebody to accept you. Uh, you got to go to this interview. And it's and it's not really a matter of merit. Sometimes it's just a matter of luck. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that. That's it's just, that's, that's, that's pretty that's... much it. And sometimes, you know, that's where people give up, you know, and uh, you'll be like, OK, I'm going to start my life here or I'm going to try somewhere else. Um, I'm going to move to another country or you just wish your country will, will get peace. That way you can go back to your country. So there's some people are going back to their countries that they are now that they're stable. So, you know, Rwandese, they don't have to go to anywhere, really. They can go back to Rwanda. Uh, Rwanda is more developed country in Africa today. So, you know, people from Rwanda, they don't have to really look for refugee status. But, you know, with the civil war that happened uh, back in 1993, I believe it was it was it was a different story, you know. So it, it is a, it is it's really it's a challenging, but um, we need to understand with us in the continent there, we just it's because of the borders, you know, if we knew what was happening, you know, if I knew what was happening in Uganda while I'm in Kenya, then I don't have to be able to be in a refugee uh, status for 20 years in Kenya because maybe I'll try or my family can try a lot in Uganda. But again, Uganda have refugees, but you have to be able to adapt in every way you go. Yeah. And the other thing is like, this is still happening to people right now. I mean, we know that the topic of the day is Ukraine, which is like the flavor of the week, but this is still happening to people in Africa and in, in different places. Like it, it, when you go to Yemen, whether you go to, to some places in Western Africa that they're still at war yeah. uh, and there's people in refugee camps right now waiting 
for a luck of the draw at this point to to just start their life. They're not trying to, you know, nobody's trying to get rich. Nobody's trying to to. They just want to live their life and 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 have a normal like like we are you and me right now, which is which is kind of incredible when you when you look at it from the hindsight. So yeah, you it's, go ahead. No, no, I, I, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no. To say that just to add on what you just touched on, you know, um, the hot topic right now is in Ukraine. But uh, there is a lot of, as I said, you know, millions of people uh, in refugees. One of, I mean, the biggest refugees camps really are in Africa. And they've been waiting uh, for support or they've been waiting for opportunity to be able to, you know, uh, they cannot go back to their countries because of their, their political or because of their situation. Um, but until today, so, and then you see what's happening uh, with Ukraine. Um, it's really, you know, people having had time really accepting it, you know, and talking, as I said, I have friends still that I grew up with, they're still in refugee camps. And, um, you know, they're not surprised, you know, they're not surprised in what they're seeing, in the support that they're seeing uh, in Ukraine, in the European countries, offering the support they're offering in Ukraine. And this is where we really, you know, we were, our theme this year for Black History Month was Ubuntu, you know, I am because you are. And this is where we as Africans, we need to be able to realize that, uh, where, you know, <clears throat> until Africa has the respect that he needs, us here, we cannot be able to do anything really. Um, and this is where the situation in Ukraine really opened a lot of people's eyes, especially the young people to do something in Africa and they wanna be able to do uh, good in their countries. But there is, as I, always, as I was saying in the beginning, there is outside influence, right? So we cannot, you have a country that's stable, that's doing well, but you have in few years, there is some coup uh, that's gonna overthrow the government just out of nowhere. So the, you have situation today, like, you know, situation in Palestine, you know, people being kicked out of um, in the mosque where we are fasting, you know, uh, in the month of Ramadan. And on Friday, people being kicked out of uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is like a mosque in, in Palestine or the, in Israel. And this is a Palestinians, you know, when people are talking about just Palestinians, you know, Palestinians um, or Israelis, there is Africans that are Hebrews, there's Africans that are, uh, that are Muslims. Uh, Africa is like... Um, 60% Christian and 40% or I'll say probably 50-50 uh, Christian and Muslim and Hebrew. So, <clears throat> but you see these things is happening. And uh, but as I was saying, the interest where they're not covering about Somalia, it's the same situation. They're not covering about what's happening in Mali. You know, Mali been protesting for how many uh, months, uh, just peaceful protests asking for France, uh, you know, military to get out of their country so they can be able to, uh, have their constitution and be able to vote the way they wanted to vote. Yeah, and I think part of the problem with that is is that the media, particularly, has been portraying Africa in a certain way for so long, and not letting African people tell the story how they how it really is. And I, I mean, sometimes when you tell people that you know, oh, I'm from. Uh, Mali or Ethiopia or Tanzania, they're like, oh, what continent is that? It's like, it's in Africa. And people think of Africa as a country, 
whether it, 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 instead of a yeah. continent that there's thousands of like there's thousands of millions of people and there's different countries and different cultures and it's been again i will say this because as part of society i can tell you that africa has been portrayed as a country and as a poor country and as a country mm. that and and don't see the the good the bad and the ugly for it which i, I think that's one of the best things and now because of the internet we are seeing that you know Nigeria is some. It's a country that's having certain issues. Mali. It's a country, South Africa. Like and yes, they're all together. Uh, but there, there's different situations happening in different places. Yeah. And I, I think that's the that's the best thing now. But it's been again, you you can't debunk decades of the same narrative in maybe 10 years since we have like all of this access. So, mm -hmm. so I think that's part of it. So yeah. let, let's get it into track. Like you come from a place that you're used to seeing black people all the time. Black people is the norm. And you come to a place that black people are, <laughs> there's a couple <laughs> of them, uh, but yeah. not necessarily the norm. There's like, Oh wait, like <laughs> what year did you arrive in Canada? What was the year? Uh, 2007, come to New Brunswick. So they were like, yeah, and, you know, I came here with my younger brother. Um, his name is Abdi. And uh, so he was 14. I was about 18 years old when we came here, you know, just uh, just two of us. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, they told us, you know, it's good for you guys to be here. It's, um, you know, to go to school and all those things. So, you know, and plus I knew people, right? So we needed to be somewhere we can be able to you know, somebody can be able to show us around. And uh, so that's how we came to New Brunswick. So what was your first glimpse at New Brunswick? When you came to New Brunswick, what was your first thought? What 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 went to your mind? Uh, well, it was a little bit shock, you know, just, you know, coming from Africa, Kenya, and then Kenya is big, you know, even just the way I came from, it's really huge. And, um, my first surprise was like people, you know, just saying, you know, we grew up in, in a refugee camp. So we saw a lot of white, you know, UN workers, you know, NGOs, they were coming around. So we saw the white people before, um, but it was a surprise to me the same way, like kids were looking at the white people and when they were in Africa, you know, everybody was like, what looking at them when they were passing by, it was the same situation for me when I was in New Brunswick here. Uh, I was walking down the street and people in their cars were just turning their head around trying to see, you know, who is this guy walking down the street? So in 2007 in Fredericton here, there were a lot, uh, few black people, uh, but somehow I was, I was surprised by that. You know, people were kind of looking at us um, as we were kind of a little bit new here, or maybe we didn't belong. So that was kind of a surprise. 
I can judge by the fact of that because when I came here, I came here in 2010. I came to Miramichi, New Brunswick, which is even smaller than Fredericton. Yeah. And I was some type of novelty. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, it was like, yeah, like one, like it was like, whoa, what you're, you're <laughs> spat, like you're Dominican. Like people started me asking questions that you're like, really? Like, like, come on now. Yeah. Like, this is something that <laughs> you, you should be able to do. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I went through that experience in Cuspamses, I think close to St. John. Um, I had a friend there or we went there, you know, just we we're going to St. John and we wanted to pass by. And um, <clears throat> so he was showing me around and that was the surprise. Everybody at um, Canadian Tire actually just stopped and started looking because I had dreadlocks and, you know, everybody just stopped and started staring as if they'd never seen a black person in that area before. And that was like a surprise, you know, but we got out of there. Wow. Yeah. I, I, again, I can feel you. And it's just, it's a, it's something that, you know, I, as I do this podcast, I see a lot of things that a lot of people might not be, sometimes they hear for the first time, sometimes, but like, when you are black, you don't look yourself as black. You don't, you never, like in Kenya, you don't look yourself like you're the color of your skin. That's not even a, a thought in the in the place that you are. And then you come to a place that you're not and somebody lets you know yeah. that you're not from here. You're different. You're different. Like, like if you were some kind of, I don't know, like if, if a spaceship came by and it's like an and you're like, that's why people say like alien, which means like foreign or, 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 or unknown. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that this was thought this wasn't something that it was that it was like, like somebody told you you're not from here. And because you're not from here and we're seeing you, we have to treat you differently because that's the way it has been done before. Instead of and then and then you get asked for the questions and things like that. But it, it is it is kind of interesting what you're saying that, you know, like I'm not shocked that people stopped at a Canadian tire because of right lux in, in 2007. They will be like, whoa, what's going on? But it's also, you know, for us, it's like, really? Like it's just hair, dude. Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's just I hair. Guess, like yes. it, <laughs> and that's just it, you know. Uh, once you get to understand where um, where they're coming from, then you just, you know, you go on with your life or you go on with your day. Um, but sometimes you just there is some people that need a little bit of education. Um, but <clears throat> you know, in Africa, as I said, it's a multicultural country. I mean, continent really. Um, so you see, there is Chinese. There there's Arabs, uh, there's white people, Europeans, as I'll say, Caucasian. Um, so there is maybe in the villages or, you know, some rural areas that the people, they have not seen white people. Maybe they will have that shock. But most of the people that come from Africa, they come to America to come to Canada here. We already experienced, we already seen these people or we have uh, dealt with them or work with them. Um, it's just that we find a little bit shock because we are more accepting, you know, we don't judge you. We never ask you, it's like, why are you here? You know, it's like, hey, you're here, you're starting a business or we just know you, you come here, you have a business or you come here, you wanna, you wanna be able to help. So there is no judgment really, but sometimes it's like, how long are you here for? <laughs> you know, or why did you, why did you come to Canada? 
you know so those type of questions are really uh it comes sometimes aggressive story it comes out like as an aggressive or you know they don't want you people here sort of thing yeah and i think it, it's it's what you say i think the one of the issues is is that the proximity like in africa we don't uh, you know or places in latin america or some places that are so close we don't look at it at like that because everybody goes to like the same struggle or in yeah. some shape or form and and you know like what's happening it's like if it happens right next to you you could say that could be us exactly. like you look at it you're like wait wait a minute what happened there can happen to me at any time any given time we're we're that close so we have to kind of get you in uh whether you know whether it's like a pandemic or a civil war or something like we, we reflect that. And then we, we welcome people and we'll just let them be. Whether's when you come here, it's so, I'm not going to say isolated because it's not, you know, there's the United States, but it's isolated in the fact that there is no situation happening. The, the, the closest place that you could see situations happening would be Mexico yeah. and Mexico is far away from here. It's Canada is like a bit, isolated in a way because there's nothing either the united states which it's a bigger country it's it's a world power and you know we see what ha what's happening there but not necessarily happen here yeah. uh and we don't really have like a reference in canada of, of what to expect so i can i can see where you where you come in that people are like how long are you staying where are you from because they they're not used to mm -hmm. to some type type of things that happens in certain countries so you you're here you study you 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 study and I know it happens to all of us in some time or another. When was the first time that somebody let you know that you were black in, in, in some type of form? Do you remember? Or do you remember like the first time that you realized like some, some racist thing happened to you? Um, <clears throat> not to say like the first time I had the word and the N word, you know, we had it in the movies and things like that. You know, Africa really, even sometimes the movie we watch, it's not American movies, you know. Um, it's it's uh, Kung Fu movies, action movies, which is like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rambo, uh, Sylvester Stallone. So you don't hear those derogatory names. And most of the time it's sports. So really for me, the first time was um, when somebody, you know, called me the N-word and, I was like, you know, why, why do you call me that? He was like, oh, you know, I can be able to call you that, you know, and to my surprise, this is what they're calling, Canadian, I mean, the black people up here, you know? So I was like, me, I'm African, you know? So you cannot call me an N-word when I don't even use the word N, that word I don't even use in my vocabularies. So for me, that was kind of, you know, and then seeing some of the black people using the word themselves to each other, that was kind of a little bit uh, surprised to me too, being here in Canada. But uh, just to go back to your question, um, for me, it was uh, the soccer, it's just playing sports, playing soccer here. Uh, we we're going, we we're trying to, I was trying to join a soccer team. Uh, I saw a flyer. They were saying they're looking for players. So I submitted my name and I wanted to join. And so when I went for the trials, there were already two other black people on the team. So they were like, they had enough 
black people to join the team. So to me, it became what does color has to do with any number has to join the team. <laughs> so to me, right there, that was like, okay, our, there is a separation between just because of my color, you, you're picking us because of our color. So you need only two black people in a team and the rest can be Caucasian. So right there, that was like, uh, that was like for me, the first time that I, I was, uh, I faced that. And the reason why I ask you that is because, again, to some point on time, we in New Brunswick, we, we're going to get somebody that, that doesn't, I, will, I don't want to call them ignorant, but that's, I don't have any other word to say it. Because uh, even <laughs> in my end, I remember one time that I, I didn't, I was lucky enough that I, I was, you know, I knew about the North American culture. I've been to some places, so I, I kind of understood how things worked. But it came to a point that I, I come from this tech background and I come from this kind of entrepreneurial background and everybody was sending me to Magma, which is the, like the multicultural association. Mm. And I was like, okay, I went to Magma and they had no idea what I wanted to do. They had no clue. They're like, oh, we just do settlement services. And I'm like, okay, okay, cool. So I went there and they, they're not able to help me. So I'm like, all right, no problem. And then I go to another thing, like a tech hub. It's like, why don't you go to Magma? I'm like, I just went there and it's, yeah. there's nothing there for me. <laughs> and then I went to another place and they're like, why don't you go to Magma? And I'm like, oh, wow. why? why is everybody sending me there? <laughs> like, like, what is that? <laughs> Because it's like, oh, that's where they send the colored people that they know people, they're not from here. Exactly. That's what they send. <laughs> and you're like, oh. And that was like my moment to like, oh my God, that's where they're sending me? Like, because of like, mm -hmm. and, 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 and we all get that. It, whether somewhere, even people that are from here, like if you're from Halifax or Toronto, you get some type of like, we know you're here, but we know you're not from here. And then yes. when they tell you, you're from Halifax. They're like, oh, yeah. really? But yeah. no, no, no. Where are, you, where are you really from? From like Halifax. That's it. I've never been to another place that's not <laughs> Halifax or St. John or some places. So it, it is kind of kind of funny and not funny in a way because yeah. we, 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 we go through that. Like we, we, we laugh at it now that happens years later, but we know it's still happening. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's still happening. It's still happening exactly, and that's the you know that's the sad part um, that that's still happening. So it's not shocking. It's not really shocking, but this is where um, I say it's not even it's a calling. It's a purpose really for us. That's why again it comes back to us, uh, black people, Africans, to be able to you know our Latin brothers to be able to. <clears throat> uh, to break that or to change that, where we can be able to, you know, magma is not the only resources that black people want because they cannot serve everything that they want. I mean, all the black people need. Um, and that's just the challenge that we're facing, you know, newcomers, you cannot go anywhere to the bank <clears throat> or uh, to the school to ask to speak with your uh, your children's principal or a teacher, they're telling you, you have to go through settlement agency 
you know, what assessment agency has to do with me meeting with my, you know, my child, you know, so they don't have anything to, they, they're using this settlement agency to be like their middleman and this settlement agency, there is capacity that they can be able to operate with. And there is certain things that they're using. They don't want to be, um, they have their mandates, but at the same time, they don't want to burn bridges or say bad things to the school or to these landlords or anybody really. So instead of them referring people to the right resources, they would rather just you know continue to take care of the families or to try to be between the families and the um, you know the school or the banks really. So for me, you need to be able, if you want to be an ally for the black people or the newcomers Africans or newcomers in general, you need to be able to be in the forefront advocating uh, for those systemic changes. You know, a settlement agency um, board or executive directors they need to come out. You know, there is some of these challenges that newcomers are facing, but there's nobody advocating for it or being in the forefront, the decision makers in the settlement agency. And that's why I feel like these things are continuing to happen. Or, you know, you have somebody from Africa, he's an international student, so he didn't come as a newcomer. So he doesn't need really need a magma. He doesn't need, he doesn't need a multicultural association. He needs... Um, <clears throat> Uh, what do you call it, um, chambers of commerce, which is like Planet Hutch, where they, they have innovation or they have a capacity to be able to help these people, but they don't. They will just send them to Magma or they'll send them to Multicultural Association, and that's what surprises me. Yeah, it, it, it surprised me too when, I, when, when that happened, but it, it only, you know, I, I only realized that, that it only happened, like, because at first you think it's only happening to you. You, you think it's just you. You think it's like, yeah. I'm the problem. Like, yes. well, I'm not whatever. And then you realize when you talk to other people <clears throat> of color that they're like, oh, yeah, they, this is what they, they, they got. And you're like, oh, so it's just not me. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's other people. And and that's that's part of that needs to be changed. So having that said, like just to, just, to touch on that, Fidel, just to touch on that a bit, um, <clears throat> because it's what we're going through in Africa. So at least here you see what I'm going through. Maybe I'll run into you. Uh, at the market, Saturday market somewhere down at the uh, in mountain of some people in St. John and we'll be like, yo, this is what I'm going through. We can exchange uh, networking. But, you know, so imagine this is the same situation. You know, this is, it's not just you or me that goes through this, these things. There is a lot of us. It's happening individually and then we're looking at it to be able to solve it individually instead of us coming together and saying, you know, share how we all uh, came through that or we passed through that and that's why I feel like you know the artificial or the colonial borders that we still have in Africa today is stopping us from moving you know East Africa they have the East African uh, uh, committee business committee that they are forming but this is the problem that we have in Africa we don't know I don't somebody in Kenya don't know now with technology social media Twitter and Facebook uh, but there is that uh, data problem but somebody in Nigeria doesn't know what's happening in Tanzania you know because but we're in the same continent just because of those borders that were created I just wanted to add on that yeah and and again I I agree with you I think the when when you create those borders 
and you create again the internet has changed that but not even not everybody has access to the internet still like exactly. like we we have that we, we have that that some people some villages and some people don't have those access and hopefully uh everybody gets it but it's it's still taking times and those problems are still are still getting into that now i i do see that that you analyze these problems and you're seeing these problems happening to the trajectory was that the reason like can you tell me how did you get to the activism in new brunswick like when did you decided to be like an advocate for these type of things um yeah thank you for that question uh yes i we saw that exactly um <clears throat> you know i thought it was just you know myself a one-off case that will happen uh but it happened the next year. So this was again, a same example that happened in the soccer. Uh, so the next year, the same situation happened. There's some other guys that they wanted to join a team. They could not be able to join. So that's where we decided we were going to form our own uh, soccer team in the FC, which is international FC. So we can be able to include everybody, you know, just not Africans, but, you know, people from Asia, people from uh, the Middle East and the Canadians as well. So, that's how we started and that's how we started advocating really and so we started with the soccer team but at the same time when we were going the community we were finding same issues that the families were having um, when they are going to look for services you know after one year or two years when the government of canada brings you this is what i was saying you know um refugees in in, in any way you are in the world is is not a good thing so newcomer or refugee from Africa, when they come here, um, they face a lot of challenges, but the only place that they know, they, they feel that they can be able to get service is like Magma. It's like, you know, here in Fredericton is Multicultural Association of Fredericton. St. John is YMCA that, uh, I think it's YMCA of, of St. John that does settlement agency. So because this, organization are the one who are receiving these families from the airports. They're registering their children in schools. Uh, they're applying them, uh, they're funding them house when they arrived here the first year and they're opening their bank account. So they're dependent on them. So they became dependent just knowing that they go in there, they, they go to study their English language or uh, ESL, English second languages. They take their program in this agency building so everything really, they became dependent. They're not really independent. They come here to Canada to, you know, uh, to start a new life, to do, uh, to set a better life for their children, but they cannot be able to navigate because that's the only thing they know. Um, but this agency, they have to move on. They have to receive more new people. But as I was saying, it's about speaking up. It's about referring people to the right resources. Um, you know, there is other groups out there that they're doing the work uh, to the newcomers. So it's just the lack of um, not knowing uh, that, you know, you don't have to always depend on Magma or you don't have to depend on the multicultural association or this agency, settlement agency, I should call it, uh, for the services, really, because inside your own communities, you have groups that's actually advocating or they're actually working on your behalf. So for you to really, it's for about, but at the same time, the challenge is these groups are volunteers, you know, or people giving their time. So sometimes they're not fully there to hold people's hands 
Uh, and that's where sometimes you, you see people going back to the settlement agency uh, just because they have the resources so they can be able to take uh, their kids to the same camp. Uh, but for us, it was about uh, advocating for people and educating them or, you know, um, referring them to other uh, agency that they can be able to help them it's, if it's about medical, uh, that they have to be able, you know, the medical issues or if it's about um, uh, family reunification to be able to bring a family member here. There is other ways to be able to do it because the settlement agency cannot be able to do it. Uh, if you want to be able to start a business, uh, we can be able to do that. We can be able to help you do that or to be able to, um, to write a business plan. So it was just the need for, for me really was to see, uh, seeing the challenges and the need that my community uh, was facing. We were like, we can be able to provide that service. We can be able to be able to be the voice because most of the newcomers from the African continent or um, <clears throat> most parts there from, they speak, you know, there is Anglophone and uh, Francophone. So you, have, you, 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 know, you have parents or mothers that they come from this country that they never, they're illiterate, they never went to school. So they cannot be able to speak for themselves. They cannot be able to, um, to be able to speak to challenge the landlords. You know, the, we all know about the rent increases or sometimes where they're renting or being refused to be rented at. Um, so this is where we come in or we step in. We're like, okay, we can be able to uh, advocate uh, and be a voice for our community. So is that like, you've been doing that for quite a while now, and I'm assuming some of these services that you're saying, uh, the New Brunswick African Association has been provided. Uh, what do you think as a, you know, as the president, and if you want to elaborate a little bit more about the association as well, what do you think has been the most satisfying and the most challenging things doing advocacy and being part of, of organizations like the New Brunswick African Association and things like that? Um, the most satisfying thing is um, seeing uh, the interest. For me right now, seeing most of the young people um, from Africa continent or even the Black uh, of the the Black Canadians or African Canadians that they've been born here, interest in the continent um, and them uh, showing that they wanna learn and they wanna be able to see how they can be able even um, to do the exchanges in Africa, to be able to go to Africa and be able to study. Uh, that's, that's been a successful thing for the work that we've been doing uh, for the type of uh, programs or the type of sessions that we've been holding for the Black History Month and beyond that. Uh, but the most challenging thing really for us, it's about the runaround, you know, um, that they want to be able to keep, people want us to continue matching. For us, they keep want to do, uh, keep doing more research uh, in regards to this issue of racism, uh, in regards to issue of um, hate for black people really. Uh, so, that's the challenge where, as I was saying, really, if you want to be an ally for, of us, you have to be in the forefront. You know, we want to be able to see the premier of New Brunswick or the prime minister coming out and say racism won't be tolerated. Like we want to be, these are the things we want to be able to see where our community, we can be able to feel like, okay, you know, we have leaders that they actually, you know, um, they're standing in the forefront of this issue. But right now, we, 
you know, both me and you, we know this, uh, they're not, you know, it's because of the political thing or it's because of um, just, they don't want to accept that these things exist, but when we're speaking to them in their boardrooms and things like that, they know it exists, but they don't want to be able to come in public. Uh, so this is that's really the most challenging or the frustration is the leadership or the um, the people in the higher power they are not committed to this cause or to what they're saying uh, that they want to do and that's where I feel like you know it's gonna be it's gonna take us to be able to do this work. Uh, and I and I agree with you with a hundred percent in that because I mean in New Brunswick they just recently appointed uh, a New Brunswick Racism Commission. And, yeah. you know, the the fact is, is that, I mean, again, I think the person that's in charge of it is a really smart person. I think she, she's a very knowledgeable person. But the fact is, is that it doesn't really take a commission to know what's going on. Like, it, it doesn't really take a study yeah. to understand that this is this this should be a law that it should be you should be penalized for for being racist like you you don't we don't need a survey we don't need really anything like that we no. don't know and that they don't that they know already and and the fact that when they did that the first of all they took like a long time to get somebody and mm -hmm. now that they have somebody this person doesn't have any political power that doesn't have anything uh once this is done they're going to tell you what we already know. Like, we, like exactly. again, this, is, this has been a way thing that we know already. And there has been studies about that. There's, there's footage. There's everything you need to know that there is racism and there's systemic racism in this province. Just when you go to a government office, you don't see a black person. Like, why is that? Like, like, <laughs> like, like it's a, it, 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 is, it is quite obvious yeah. to see that what is happening but the government just wants to paint it out like oh let's 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 put a position to, to make sure mm -hmm. so, so i can see what i can see why the challenge will be the runaround because when when they committed this it's like really like it, it, like come on now we don't we know what's going on like yeah we're not stupid like we, we're exactly. we're we're definitely getting that so i i agree on that part and i, I also wanted to ask you like when you see those things, how do you think we as people can can improve that those type of situations? What do you think is a, one of the solutions that we can get? So because we know that the government, it's not going to do it by themselves. This, there's no way that they're going to just wake up and be like, oh, let's change this. Uh, it, if you see now in Nova Scotia, they're they're doing uh, some type of racism law. But that's because there's four members of parliament that they're black and they're saying, like, wait a minute we know what it's like and they have the power to do it and they're in different parties. Do you think that is something that we need in this province as well? I was just going to say that. I think it's about us getting in those arenas, get us getting into the political arena now. Um, that's the only way we're going to be able to change it. Um, <clears throat> I think there was a news in the CBC in regards to the justice judge now in Canada, right? We just went through that uh, in the United States, uh, the Supreme justice there is another position here in Canada that is coming but the, the the higher judge who is saying he doesn't see any issue of not having an indigenous judge in the seat you know so that's one thing for sure you know how many cases or how many suits that they the indigenous our brothers and sisters and in indigenous community been trying to get it through to the higher court so by having not just 
it's about under, uh, knowing the culture, the history, and having the lenses of people that they experience, they have the knowledge of those cultures, of those people, uh, to be in the position of making the decisions. Uh, we don't want people just to learn at the job. Um, and I think for us to be able to make the changes, as you say right now, those uh, four blacks in Nova Scotia, I think that's the way to go. Uh, right now, even here in New Brunswick, we need to be able to get into the politics. We need to be able to vote. I think I was going to add on uh, election, on the election, who we're going to vote for. You know, we always hear about campaign, what they're going to be able to do when they go in. And then, you know, once they go in, nothing happens after four years later. So I think we need to be able to have, um, we need to be able to get into the political arena if we need to change anything, really. I definitely agree. I think I think one of the things that people have to understand is that when you're not in the system, nobody's thinking of you. There's not a white man thinking what's happening to black people that that's not happening in, in mm -hmm. parliament. That's not happening in there. It's only when you face the issue that you bring it up. So exactly. if you don't have anybody to represent you that this has not been in that situation, they're never going to think about that because it doesn't happen yeah. to them. It just it, it just does it. So so I, I definitely uh, agree that uh there needs to be more more representation in politics and in different areas uh, of society of color because again, it is insane that there is not a single indigenous LMLA. There's not one. There's not a black one. There's not an indigenous one. Yeah. There's nobody black and brown anywhere there. And yeah. and then you realize, and then they're like, oh, let's do this. It's like, uh, what you should be trying to do is try to get people. If you really want to help us out. Get some black and brown people as MLAs. I don't care if it's conservative, green, NDP, liberal, doesn't matter. Get get all of them, because yes. that's it, it. That's that's the only way it's going to change. Because it's not really. I, I mean, it's not really a bipartisan. We don't care if you're black in this country. You have faced racism, whether you're conservative, NDP, liberal, whatever. So you're going to know what's happening. Yeah. But if you're white, you're never going to know. You're, you're never, it, it hasn't affect you. How how the hell are you going to think about that? So Exactly. I, We're always going to hear, I have a black friend. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what we're going to do. So is, tell me a little bit uh, about the entrepreneurial side of you, because I know you said you, you had a, a few businesses. So talk, talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, we ran a, a catering group. Uh, before the pandemic hit and everything right now we took a little uh, we took a pause uh, after the pandemic but uh, we have a, a catering group where we cater for birthdays weddings in the African community and uh, in Fredericton in general really we're just doing it in Fredericton here uh, so it's African fusion and um, we're, we're cooking uh, African cuisine so I had a group of uh, African women and uh, some African girl, young girls that they were preparing food and selling food at the markets, uh, the Carrison Night Market, the, um, the Northside Market uh, in Fredericton here. <clears throat> and as well, uh, business with my brother, it's a clothing business called Pamoja, which in Swahili, it's together, um, which is like an apparel uh, clothing business that, was, uh, that, he's, uh, that we're involved with uh, as well here in Fredericton. And uh, he sells it online. Um, but uh, now we're just uh, getting back the catering. Uh, the, the clothing business has been going on uh, throughout the pandemic, but uh, we took a break on the, on the catering business 
But uh, we're just getting that back again. We're planning to get that going again here in May. Oh, well, that's amazing. I can, you know, I'll definitely try to see how we can, how I can get to further to get some good African food because African food is delicious. I'm from the Caribbean and because the African heritage of the Caribbean, the, the food is almost the same, like plantains. Oh, yeah. it, it's almost the same, just a different seasoning, but it's, it's all, it's usually the same, the same thing. So yeah. uh, definitely I want, I, and, I want and to it get came that. about, it just came about again, just observing, right. Seeing um, the lack or just us coming together when we are finishing uh, the soccer game or we are just in the, watching the soccer and uh, we get hungry and we're like, where can we go eat? You know, if we don't want to be able to cook or you don't want to be watching a soccer game or basketball game, you don't want to really start uh, cooking. And, you know, when we're cooking, it's uh, it's smoky. We're using a lot of oil sometimes, so we don't want to do that. We want to be able just to run out and grab something. And that's, we couldn't be able to do that. So this is where... I came up with the idea we can be able to start something of our own, something that we can be able to do throughout the week. You can be able to order. Um, and that's how the business started. Oh, wow. That, that's pretty good. So uh, is it, uh, we could talk all, all night because I think you're a super interesting person. So I know, I know you're a busy guy. Uh, so I'm going to ask you one last question and uh, we're going to, again, I think we should keep the conversation going somehow or another, because I think it, it's super cool. So uh, I want to ask you for you, what does it mean to be black in the Maritimes? <laughs> to be black in the Maritimes to me here is, um, is to be proud, is to be really be proud of our heritage, uh, to be proud of our people that came before us. You know, there is a black that they've been in the Maritime before. Uh, for a long time, you know, this has been like a home to us. There's people been here uh, before that the people, other people came from the, uh, across the border of the United States. So for me, really, uh, it's about um, having that sense that, you know, there were people before us here that they were Blacks and uh, this is our home as well. And we should be, be proud of it and uh, to work towards making it uh, a better place that, that we want to be able to see that we all uh, we can feel safe we can feel we contribute and um, and we want to continue living here that's beautiful right there yeah so oh, uh, if anybody wants to find the work that you're doing or anything that you're doing where do they go to to find it <clears throat> find us on social media new brunswick african association uh, new brunswick african uh, women association african fusion uh, Pamoja, uh, Pamoja Apparels, you can be able to find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and, um, you know, you can be able to visit us at 28 Sanders Street, which used to be the old YMCA, our office is located there, and that's where we operate. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So, I mean, again, I, I need to have you back, because uh, I think we could talk about tons of different topics here. Definitely. Uh, but it, it, yeah, it was a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, again, guys, if you want to know more about this, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, don't forget to go to our website, blackinthemaritimes.com, or go to social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Black in the Maritimes. Peace out.